So hey guys, we're back for another podcast interview, and today we have Eric J. Wright. If you don't know who Eric J. Wright is, by the end of this interview, you're going to know everything you need to know, and you're going to rush to Amazon, and you're going to buy all his books, because you're going to love them as much as I do. Of course, I want to thank my friends over at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can get a hold of them and subscribe by going to tombstoneepitaph.com. I urge everybody to do the three-year for 60 bucks because, honestly, if you do one year at 25 by the time you get to three years, you're going to pay 75 bucks. But if you pay the three-year up front, you save $15. And that's that's huge. Today, 15 bucks. you know, that's lunch, that's dinner, with that with the family and friends. And so you want to save that money by going to tombstoneepitaph.com and subscribe to the do the three-year subscription to get Wild West history in print, in a newspaper, delivered to your door, uh, and get to hold it in your hands, just like Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp, um, all the people, Johnny Ringo, all the people in Tombstone got to hold the epitaph. You'll get the epitaph too by going to tombstoneepitaph.com. I also want to thank my friends over at the Wild West History Association. You can become a member at going wildwesthistory.org. That's wildwesthistory.org. And you become a member, you get the roundup, but and you get all the journal, 100 and 100 plus pages, 105 pages of solid Western history, true provenance is fantastic. But the big thing is, is you get to be able to connect with people like Eric and John Bosnecker and, and Marshall Trimble and all the people out there researching history and bringing it right to your door. Um, you can do so. You can actually get out and connect with them like I have by joining and becoming a member of the Wild West History Association by going to wildwesthistory.org. We're also going to be talking a little bit today about the True West Magazine and Bob Bowes Bell. Uh, Bob is, a, a, he's, he's, I've never met him, but he's a friend of mine and he helps me out in my, in my quest to bring you these podcasts. And you can find, and Eric, he's also works for True West Magazine. You can find uh, subscriptions or become a maniac like I am at truewestmagazine.com. So Eric is somebody that's, been passing by my door, my history door, for quite a while. He's been passing by yours. You may just, you may not know it. Uh, if you're in True West Magazine, if you're in Wild West History Association, if you get the epitaph already, you're finding out about his books and what he's got going on and the things he's doing. And um, and I, he's got some fantastic books that we're going to talk about. And uh, and he's just out there. He's getting it done. And uh, he's a super great dad, and he's got a cool family going on, and we're going to talk about uh, where he lives and his upbringing. So welcome, sir. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you, you, um, you've been around a little bit. Your articles you can find in Truist Magazine and in the Epitaph. And before we get kind of get going deep into this, like, you know, were you born and raised? Um, you know, you mentioned one time in an article about the influence of your parents, that your parents were really involved in Western history and they were really like the gateway to 19th century history. Like talk a little bit about your, were born and raised and your influences and your folks. Yeah. So, excuse me, I I was born in Tucson, Arizona. Um, I, 
my dad had been more or less raised in in Arizona and Tucson and some in Phoenix. Um, he was a Oklahoman by birth. Um, my mom was from Phoenix, and and they they met in Tucson, and that's where they had me. <clears throat> when I was quite young, uh, my parents took a business opportunity in in Texas near Fort Worth and moved me and, and us out there. And that's that's where I was raised. And it's not little anymore, but it was at the time a town called Weatherford, um, which is famous for, you know, uh, it's got some Lonesome Dove history, some Texas Ranger history. Um, and uh, when I was, you know, getting college age, I moved back to Tucson where I, I have an uncle who lives there. It's my, my father's brother and went to, um, went to college there in Tucson and, and that's where I met my wife. So I've always felt home there in Southern Arizona. Uh, even though I wasn't necessarily raised there, I've, I've spent a lot of my formative years there. Um, but to your question of, I guess, you know, what, what kind of got me into history? Um, you know, I hear a lot of folks say, Oh, it was, it was this or it was that, you know, especially a lot of the older, older historians, you know, it was some of the, the old TV shows that got them into that. I, you know, I'm not from that generation and I don't mean to, uh, belittle those shows in any ways, but I, I never got into those shows. Um, I think it was just a kind of a tapestry of different things. I, I remember very distinctly, you know, kind of sneaking off and laying with my dad. And this has been the early nineties and, and reading Bob Bozbell's, uh, illustrated life and times books of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Um, and at the time, you know, I was a kid, 10, 11 years old, maybe, um, and not really having a lot of contextual understanding of what I was looking at. My dad was into it, but not to the degree at which he did anything with it besides just read about it. Um, but just kind of being subjected to the pictures and stuff. And my dad was really into other things, you know, like the history of T.E. Lawrence and I remember having to watch, not like being forced to, but you know, every, every evening we would watch a, a Sherlock Holmes show, the old Jeremy Brett series. So kind of just being immersed in kind of this historical kind of atmosphere. Um, you know, as, as a kid, like any other, uh, boy, I, I guess, you know, I, I used to play, Gunfighter. I had a whole arsenal of toy guns, and I uh, was really into Davy Crockett as a kid. Um, so I guess, in a way, me and Paul Hutton are alike in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I look back and kind of reflect on that question a lot. Of was there a singular moment or 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 one thing that got me into it? I, and so I don't, I don't think so i think it was just a lot of things kind of coming together at once that kind of made me think you know hey history is kind of interesting um and it's all around me and i just kind of grew up with it 
I'm kind of in the same boat you are. Um, the early shows, even though I'm a boomer, you know, I'll be 59 this year. Um, and growing up in the 60s and 70s, for me, it was Gunsmoke and, and Ponderosa. You know, that was like my, my big thing. Ponderosa was like, holy cow, you know, Little Joe and, and Pa and, you know, and Dan Blocker and all these people. For me, it was a Ponderosa. But, you know, I didn't really have the stuff like they did, like uh, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp was before before my time. Um, your parents, though, growing up in Arizona, did they take you down to Tombstone? Or like you said, or did you, were you quickly, you know, maybe one or two years old, and then you ended up in, in Texas? Uh, I think when I, prior to our move to Texas, I'm, I'm sure my parents probably took us around. I, I know we had some property up near Sholo. Um, I don't. I don't have much memory of that. That was, we moved to Texas right before I started kindergarten. So that gives you perspective of my age from, you know, once I was born, I was born in in 84 and we moved to Texas, I believe in January of 90. Um, So there wasn't a lot of time there. I think we probably visited Tombstone once because I remember getting um, like a toy gun set. And that, that may be something I'm making up in my mind, but it's just something that's kind of stuck there. Um, but it was, it was probably in the mid nineties and probably because my dad saw the movie Tombstone that got him interested. That got me interested, but you have to understand too, you know, my dad spent a lot of time in the Rocky mountain West in the seventies, um, doing, uh, like geophysical surveys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so he got to see a cool lot stuff. of what the West was mm-hmm. before it was developed by, you know, mining and, and things like this. So he's, he's always had a passion for, for the wilderness. And I think that was passed on to me. And I ended up doing the same kind of work there uh, during college, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but, you know, once once we lived in Texas and we were established there and then my parents sensed that, you know, hey, our son is developing this interest, uh, especially in Tombstone, uh, they were very quick to nurture whatever interest I had. And, and they were always very good about taking me to museums. And anyone familiar with Fort Worth knows that Fort Worth has really great museums. I, I, I have very distinct memories of going to the museums of Fort Worth frequently. Um, but there were several times we went to Tombstone uh, when I was, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. And uh, that's where I first met uh, ben Trainwick is just a, in my mind, I was just a naive, dumb kid. And my dad being what any good father would be as an advocate and promoter of his child, you know, just kind of drug me into his office, which anybody that's ever been in Ben Trainwick's office, uh, knows it's more of a museum and less of an office it was just floor to ceiling stuff um and and at the time i didn't know who ben trawick was um and it it was that first conversation with who i saw as just an old man writing um and he said oh you know you got an interest you live near dallas fort worth 
why don't you, you know, pursue something tombstone related in the Dallas Fort Worth area? I thought, well, that doesn't make sense because I don't know what that would be. Mm -hmm. And he kind of gave me a little hint about, you know, Doc Holliday, you know, had spent some time briefly in Dallas. And so that kind of set me and my father on a path for when we got home to do some research and which turned out into my first article, which is not very good at all uh, by my standards today. You know, I was, I think at that time, six, 16 when it was published. Um, and it's been right ever since. So let's talk about the writing for folks that, folks that don't know. Eric has some books out, quite a few books. We're going to mention them here. And they are available on Amazon. And you can get them if you become a subscriber to the Epitaph. On the very back page, there is a spot there where there's a coupon that you can fill out. And you can mail it in with all the books that you want to order. And he'll ship them to your door. Now, here's a list of some of the books that he has. In fact, all of them, unless he corrects me and he says, Mike, you're full of crap. There's more. Um, There's more there's more in the right library. Um, he has Sickness of the Heart, uh, West of Hell, Bad Men of the Old West, or Bad, yeah, Bad Men of the Old West, Policing the Underworld, which I want to talk about that one. That's a little bit of a break from the Old West. Uh, Phil Foot, Lawman, Outlaw, and Hellraiser, Main Street Mayhem, um, you have Boland Isom Families in Europe and America. Gamblers, Guns, and Gavels. Now, that one intrigues me because i got to get that one because Peter Brand and Casey Tiefertill are involved in it, and I've had both of them interviews, and they're fabulous. They're phenomenal people. Uh, Burnt Powder and Rough Justice. Um, do we have anything else? Um, I think that's it, right? I think that's it. And, and this is... This is the high. Well, this is to me is the highlight. Is that you're a member of the Royal Historical Society? That's like, that's like getting um, preferred parking every day at home. Yeah, doesn't do anything for me here in Arkansas. No, well, it does a lot here. I'm I'm impressed by. So that means when I see you, because you're a member of the Royal Historical, do I have to like bow? Do I have to like genuflect? You can, okay. you can, or you can just give me a drink next time you okay. see me. That would be fine. Yeah, um, Sir Eric. So, so my my writing, um, I've kind of got like an ADHD approach to how I do things. It, you can see from my my books and, and even my articles, which I've got, I, I feel like I have most of my articles listed on my website that I've done. I try to keep up with them. Um, it's, it's kind of all over the board. I started out, as you can tell from my 2001, when I was 16 years old article about Doc Holliday, I was really focused on the herbs and tombstone. And that's kind of how I got my feet in the door as it were with, you know, being mentored by certain historians and, and kind of learning, you know, the, the context of, of Western history and Western expansion. Um, but then I, I developed more broad interests in things. Um, and then when I set my sights on something, I, I have a hard time letting it go. Um, so, uh, you know, an example being the, uh, you mentioned sickness of the heart. Uh, that's, 
it's kind of like a, a modern tour guide to the, the subtitle of that is uh, along the route of conquest as told by the participants. Uh, so that was released on the 500th anniversary of the conquest of Mexico by Hernan Cortez. Uh, so that obviously has nothing to do with what we perceive to be as Western history. Uh, but that's a good example of something that I couldn't, let go in my mind um and and had to pursue as a project but that's um, like but when i interviewed chuck parsons last week we were talking about how he ends up getting onto a subject or a person or a place because he's usually writing another book and then out pops this other piece and he puts it to the side and he says i've got to finish the book and then i've got to go back to this other piece is that kind yeah. of the same thing with you yeah Yes, absolutely. And um, I, I think a lot of times that's a blessing. And and so you consider the book Main Street Mayhem, which is a book about the the crime and violence in in kind of the downtown area of of the the, the small town I live in in Arkansas now. And you, you may think, well, you know, Northeast Arkansas, you know, what is what? That's not the Wild West, and that's true. But if if a studious historian digs enough, they're going to find enough material to fill uh, a book with with shootings and and fights and all this. And that's what I did with this book. But out of that book um, emerged a really interesting story about a guy. Um, a local fellow who in 1909 killed somebody here and long story short fled to um, Australia. Uh, but before he did so, he was arrested in San Francisco before being brought back to Paragold. Um, and the person who arrested him was a real long time, tough detective in San Francisco named Arthur McQuaid. And so I guess like Chuck Parsons, you know, I start looking at this Arthur McQuaid fellow and now I'm like, well, now I'm collecting all this material on Arthur McQuaid. Um, and so out came the book Policing the Underworld um, because I felt, you know, nobody's ever heard of Arthur McQuaid. Uh, but there's so much stuff here, and this guy's got an amazing story to tell. Um, and very similar, I've, I've done a lot, a lot of work on an Irish gunman that not many people have heard of, but he's become a little more mainstream, uh, named uh, James Levy. Uh, he was involved in some water rights claims in Tombstone with the, you know, the Earps, uh, he was up in Deadwood. He was in Cheyenne. He was in Nevada. He was everywhere. He was a violent character. Um, and in June of 82, he was killed in Tucson um, by a trio of gamblers. And so I started tracing who those gamblers were. And out came that Gamblers, Guns, and Gavels book. Mm. And from that... If people can follow what I'm saying here, emerged the Phil Foot book because one of those gamblers was killed by Phil Foot later on in 1905, I believe, in Nevada. 
So you kind of just leapfrog these stories and you hope that it kind of just continues. But every once in a while, you reach a dead end and you have to find a new project. Well, let's talk about a project that you're on because I'm curious. You're the associate editor, is that correct, of the Tombstone Epitaph? Assistant, yeah. Assistant editor. How did you end up on the Epitaph as an assistant editor? Um, well, for several years, I had been contributing articles to the Epitaph under its old uh, editor. Um, and then, I don't want him to speak, but I think it was maybe 2018, 17, somewhere in there, Mark Boardman would be able to give a more correct answer. Uh, Mark Boardman fine historian who is the editor took over the epitaph and in the midst of that kind of transition um mark contacted me and and asked if i'd be interested in, in joining him um as his second and i thought well what what person's going to say no to this you know that's the, not only is that an amazing opportunity but it's amazing lead forward in, in one's, you know, career as a historian. Um, and I've been working with Mark ever since. So what is your role, though? I mean, do you do you oversee articles? Do you obviously, I know you also write out your own. What is your role there? Right. So the I think it's a lot more simplistic than what people think. Um, I think a lot of folks still think that the epitaph is produced – um, like Mark and I work out of the Epitaph office there in Tombstone, which I actually thought I can, that very thing because one time I showed up at the Epitaph when I in the beginning of my interviews and podcasts and was like, "Where's Where's Mark?" and she's like, "He's not, he's in Indiana." I'm like what? Yeah. I can assure you, if I had an office at the Epitaph, I wouldn't be getting much done because I'd be down at the Crystal Palace all the time. Um. Uh, but uh, we we get articles. It's uh, I'll, I'll give you just how how basically in a nutshell a month's thing comes together. We get articles submitted to us from various writers from across the world. Um, they get placed physically, like any newspaper does. And and I, I don't like to use the term newspaper for the epitaph, but it it's it's like a magazine just on newspaper print. Okay, or newspaper paper. Uh, so it gets constructed in that way. Uh, I coordinate usually months ahead of time with various authors uh, for the author interviews. And that can be challenging at times because you have to plan ahead for interviewing this author or that author for this book coming out and trying to coordinate when their book is launching and trying to time that in, a, in an appropriate manner and I do a, a majority of the book reviews um, and the Yester West section which is basically a, a this day in you know each month you know it'll be like August 1st 1855 such and such happened mm -hmm. uh, so we researched that uh, and when everything's more or less compiled uh, by our our compiler, 
person, uh, Melinda there in, in Safford, Arizona, uh, it gets kicked back to, to all of us. We go through it with a fine tooth comb, uh, digitally mm-hmm. and we edit, suggest changes, etc. And we kick it back, make sure everything's hunky dory. It gets kicked back one more time just to make sure everything's good to go before print. And then that's it. It's actually a pretty simple process. So, and we've been doing it for enough years now to where we're, we've got a rhythm to it. And then not only are you doing this work on the epitaph, but I see you popping up into Truest Magazine. Are you involved in that from a editor, associate editor, contributor standpoint? So True West, you know, was, I'll always have loyalty for True West because they were the first ones to take a gamble on me when I was 16 years old and, you know, a high school student. And somewhere around here, I have a letter from Bob Bell that uh, was very encouraging to me and was saying something to the effect of when I was your age, you know, I wanted to do this and and now I own the magazine. So be careful what you wish for. Um, And since that time, uh, Bob and I have maintained a a friendship and, and now Stuart Rosebrook, who's the the editor, executive editor of the magazine. uh, I work closely with him on submitting book reviews, much like I do with the epitaph and, they were kind enough uh, a year or two ago uh, to name me a contributing editor of the magazine. And I think that's more or less a, a title, um, uh, but more more so placed in faith in my abilities within the field. Well, Bob is Bob is huge for me. I mean, he he first he said yes to an interview that he didn't know any about then he said yes to a second one and now we're doing history bits which are little mini stories that are taken out of truest magazine he allowed me to take those those little articles out that he wrote and do them as a podcast and we do advertising but the big thing is is that he's just like i don't know if he sees talent or if he's you know he's got something in him that says i think this person's a winner because I was, I'm very flattered that he answers my emails and takes my phone calls. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, if I were you, it would be, even if it's, you think it's like an, the associate editor or contributing editor, it's still something that Bob is, has opened up his arms and said, you're part of the true us family. I, I consider it an honor. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't take that that lightly it's Bob I feel like is is a lot like me and that you know we're very uh, I don't have much of a filter when it comes to some things and I feel like Bob is very much the same way Um, but we're we're also realists Um, I'm I'm all for getting people engaged in history by whatever means So, for example, you'll have people that will just critique every little thing out of something, uh, be it a movie or a documentary or something, and they'll say, well, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. Okay, well, that may be true, but let's let's look at the bigger picture. 
Um, and I'll use the movie Tombstone as an example. So whatever inaccuracies were in the movie Tombstone, I think are irrelevant because Tombstone set a new standard for bringing in uh, just so many new historians into the field that without that movie, we wouldn't have the information we had today. So that's my argument is regardless of the misinformation that's presented in a magazine article or a Wikipedia entry or um, a documentary or a comic book, if that serves as a gateway for someone to become interested and to start doing their own research, I think it's done its job. Um, and people may disagree with me on that, but uh, that, that's always been my point of view. Well, I agree to that to some extent. The only worry I have with content that even if it's misinterpreted or wrong is then Facebook and people share it and then it becomes in their mind gospel. Like they don't read, they don't read any deeper into like when I see something, I'll look at it and I'll be like, Hmm, I need to read about that. And I'll write it down on a notepad and I'll go read about it. And I think some people aren't like that and they take it on Facebook and then they see it and then they pass it off. And before you know it, it's out there and you can't stop it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that that's, uh, that's something I've, I've toyed with the idea of trying to develop a paper on is the effect of um, Facebook or social media influence on our, our perception or understanding of, of Western history. Um, because anybody can put anything or any interpretation online. And it, it begs the question, it's like, so if I'm going to put XYZ on Facebook and 99% of the population is going to believe it and, and walk away from it at that point, what is the point of what we as legitimate historians are, are doing? Are we, are we writing for ourselves? Are we writing for our peers? Or are we writing to help further information that is somehow, for some reason, not getting out to the general public? Well, I think it's a combination of all three. I mean, I've talked to a lot, I've interviewed a lot of writers and historians. And it, I, I think, and I could be wrong, it originally starts out with them thinking to themselves that, I've got something here and I really want to dig deeper into it and I want to fuel my thirst for finding out the truth, right? But then as the book begins to evolve and you're getting down to the end, then I think from talking to many of them, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you get down to the end and now you're like, I can't wait to share this with the world. Like, I think that there's a, there's the original part of it and then a, you know, then the ending comes and you can't wait to see it in a finished book on a shelf and people buying it and enjoying it and reading it. Yeah, you're right. And and I think any historian that says otherwise well, is lying. But I think everybody likes to see their stuff in print um, and likes to see that, you know, horrendous amount of work and research be finished but and, and i don't know if there's others out there like me but once once something of mine is in print um be it in a magazine or a journal or a book 
most of the time it then gets put on a shelf and I don't revisit it. Um, so for example, if you were to ask me details about the life and times of Arthur McQuaid today, you know, that book came out in 2018, I really wouldn't be able to, uh, to talk about it because I, I now see that chapter closed. Um, and I'm, I'm very critical of my own stuff. Um, I guess a lot of the way actors are with their movies, you, you often hear actors saying, Oh, I've never seen that movie of mine. Uh, once something of mine publishes, I'm not going to read it. Well, um, I, I know that for a 100% fact because every person that I reach out to, I'll say, I'd love to do a podcast or an interview about a book. And unless it's like John, when John's book came out about um, Pearl Hart, it had just come out so he knew the content, he knew everything perfectly well, and blah, blah, blah. We were going to do a podcast about a previous book, and he's like, holy crap, I got to go back and read it. Like, I haven't even thought about it. And... And every researcher has been the same. Chuck, when we did Chuck's, he had to go back and just like his Kingfisher book. And he had to go back into it and reread some stuff and re-familiarize himself with Kingfisher. We're getting ready to interview Roy B. Young on the Pete Spence book. He hadn't thought about Pete Spence in a long time. And yet, it's I keep it next to my bed as one of my like go-to questions. Like You know what I mean? Because... I live in Pete Spence world. Like a lot of what he did and traveled is like right around me or within an hour around me. So I, I know that for a fact, what you're saying that once your book is completed and done, it's almost forgotten because you're on to the next project. Well, I think part of the problem too is, and I, I can't speak for others, um, writing styles or, or methods, um, uh, mine is generally, uh, you know, let's say I have a project on whatever, you know, right, right now I'm really focused on, you know, the Overland Trail histories. Um, and so I'll, I'll sit there and I'll gather material and I'll, I'll let it fester in my mind, you know, so it'll sit and I'll think about it and I'll toy around with ideas kind of silently for months. And then all of a sudden, like some kind of big bang, it just comes out of me, you know, very quickly. Uh, just a couple weekends ago, I, I hammered out like four papers, like WWHA style papers in a weekend. And that kind of explosive kind of mental, you know, work takes so much out of a person. Once you're done, you're done. And then I'm done for a couple months. Um, and I, that's probably not the healthiest approach to writing is to do these kind of sporadic, spastic writing events. Um, but I feel like once, <clears throat> once I, I research and kind of think about things for so long, then my, my mind boils over and then I just have to get it out. And then I'm done with it. And then I'm done with it. Um, uh, and then I can put it away. Um, so, uh, I don't know if that, if that helps get in the mind of, of someone like me, but, um, you know, used to, when I was younger, I would spend half my time, uh, you know, emailing 
various historian friends of mine saying, well, what, what would you do in this situation? Or, or how would you handle this? Or how do you research that? Or how would you write this? And, and now, uh, you know, I've got a pretty good foothold on it, I think. And, and thanks to them, it's, it's kind of become less of a hobby and more of a career. Do you have a new book that you're working on now? Uh, I get that question every once in a while. Um, no, I've got, I've got things that I'm compiling for various, um, projects. One, one is collecting stories from people who knew, um, my dad when he worked in the geophysics field and kind of, mirroring those stories with, uh, uh, you know, experiences of my own, but I worked for some of the same companies out West, um, you know, anecdotal type stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm compiling a lot of stuff on the Oregon and California trails, but I'm not quite sure where that's going yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a real interest in, uh, violence on the Oregon and California trails. Um, but some of that material is, is hard to, to nail down. So I'm not sure if something's going to come from it or not. Well, if you are wondering who we're talking to, we're speaking to Eric J. Wright. He is a reacher, researcher, historian. He's an assistant editor with the Tombstone Epitaph. He's involved with True West Magazine, as well as writing his own books. If you want to find Eric J. Wright, you can go to Amazon and actually type in the words Eric, and it's E-R-I-K, not a C, but E-R-I-K-J, the letter J, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And if you go on to Amazon, all his books will be shown. Do you have a website, or is it just Amazon the best way? Uh, yeah, I have a website. It's uh, just all spelled out, ericwrighthistorian.com. ericwrighthistorian.com. All right. Can we purchase books there too? Uh, there's not like a shopping cart, but there's, you know, there's a way to contact me. And if, if anyone wants to contact me directly and, and request something specific, um, I can... I can get it out to you and sign it. Or even if they want a copy of a specific article, if they're researching something, uh, I can try to dig some up and send it to you. Awesome. Again, this is Eric Wright, and you can find all his books on Amazon, or you can go to his website at ericwrighthistorian.com. Um, i got about, about 20 minutes left. That's how fast it goes. Um, you've written a lot of books. And you've done a lot of things. And I asked this question of Chuck Parsons, and he kind of gave me a funny answer, which was, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, like, of all the books that you've written here, was there one that stood out that was either most revealing or that you, it was, oh, my God, I can't even believe that this, I found this or whatever, that this book really rocked, rocked you or became your favorite? Chuck said, he said, that's like asking me which child is my favorite. And I said, well... True, but there's got to be one out of your because you you have a decent library that you've created of book history books that you've written. Is there one that stands out? Well, I'm really proud of 
and and while I'm proud of it, I'm equally uh, wishing I would have done better on it. Um, the Phil Foot book, you know, was pure grassroots research. I mean, I pulled Phil Foot out of the woodpile um, and just completely reinvigorated his story. I mean, before I did something on Phil, and I am not the type to toot my horn, but I, I dare say before, you know, I did anything on Phil Foot, nobody had heard about Phil Foot. Um, but I, w- I think there was an opportunity there um, to uh, reinvigorate his story a, a little bit more. Um, and luckily, I don't want to get too much away, but there is a project that I'm working on with Phil Foot and the English Westerner Society um, for hopefully next year. Um, the other one... It's not my book, but I had a contribution, and that that's my contribution of uh, the Tom Mulqueen article in the Wyatt Earp anthology that was edited by uh, Roy Young from the University of North Texas Press. Um, and I think that's less because my work was in it and more because I'm really big into the fact that I was – one kind of brought into the field at the end of the Boyer era, uh, and two, um, that, you know, these guys who took me under their wing, um, this was, I'm sorry, this was kind of the closing of a chapter, as it were, that they're like, you know, look, Eric has paid his dues, he's done his due diligence, now let's include him in this, this kind of capstone book. So that, that one means a lot to me. So let's talk about, real quickly, let's talk about Anthology. Because it is such a profound book. And if anybody's wondering, and, and Eric can, can correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> I think it is the book, <clears throat> excuse me, on Wyatt Earp. There's the other stuff that's out there by Stuart Lake and and stuff and, and the other writers before and and that way before us that have written phenomenal stories. But I think in terms of Wyatt Earp and putting a complete history anthology together, it is the book. Am am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And there there's as as anybody knows, there's been a lot done on Earp and Earp Era Tombstone and everything in between. In this book, um it it's a big book. It's it, it includes everything you would ever want to know about Wyatt Earp by everyone who has done something on Wyatt Earp that is worth their weight in the field. You know, so we're talking, you know, Casey and John and Peter Brand and Roy and Jeff Morey. And, you know, I don't have the book in front of me, but I mean, just everybody. And I'm surprised, to be honest with you, that something like this hadn't been done a long time ago. Uh, Because a lot of this stuff was out there, you know, in in this location or that location. And and most of us historians kind of had the material and files, but it was not uh, consolidated in one kind of handsome presentation that 
UNT Press put together. Um, and to have that for the sake of posterity alone, I think is really nice. But, um, yeah, it's interesting how, I mean, I'm a sentimental person, uh, but it's interesting to me how a guy like Wyatt Earp, who I'm not either pro or, or con Wyatt Earp, I'm just, you know, uh, can bring people together like that. Um, and it's the same with, with anybody, you know, Billy the Kid or Custer or anything like that. But it's, it's, it's amazing to me how that works. So did you get a phone call from Roy or an email that said, Hey, we'd love um, you to I be think, part of anthology. And when you got yeah, that, did you like jump up think, and down and go, Holy crap, this I've hit the mother load. Well, I think I got a, um, what had happened was my paper on Tom McQueen. Tom McQueen was like, um, kind of a known gambler and horse racing, kind of aficionado there in San Francisco at the time White Earp lived there and Tom McQueen uh, knocked out White Earp in a uh, San Francisco saloon and I wrote about that and then I, I connected the story to to Casey uh, because um, in a very roundabout way um, Tom McQueen attended a wedding at a church that Casey's grandfather, I believe it was his grandfather, constructed the archway to. Hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting. And Casey provided me some pictures for that. And I think Casey was really, both Casey and, and Gary Roberts were really uh, intrigued by the article. They thought it was really well done. And it was Casey that contacted me asking, you know, if they could use the paper for the book. And, you know, I'm not going to say no. Um, and so that, that was basically it. And, uh, the first time I, I saw the copy was, uh, at the WWHA roundup in Cheyenne, uh, back in 2019. That's crazy. I, I, I can't even imagine to see, you know, an article I wrote or something in like a book like anthology because it's so, it, it's almost groundbreaking, even though the history behind it, because it it's all unearthed and it's true research. You're you're past the Boyer years, you know. I mean, it's just, and you've got these wonderful people like Casey and Roy and and Gary and you and I mean, holy, and pa, I think Pam Potter's. I mean, it's just so many people. So, well, what's what's really important for me is you know you, you talk about the the post-Boyer years, and I think people kind of realize, they're like, hey, the past however many decades have been really screwed up, and then they see this young, you know, eager kid coming along, and there were there were several folks who really took closely to me, uh, you know, Peter, uh, the late Paul Cool, uh, the late Mark Dworkin, Roy, um, John, uh, it's just, you know, I couldn't have been put in a better position to be mentored by some of these people. And the, I, I regret every day that people like Mark Dork and, and Paul Cool are no longer with us. And I, I even have a, a picture of Paul in my home office kind of 
looking over me so that when I'm writing, it's, you know, I have this mantra of what would Paul do? Mm-hmm. Usually it's not what I'm doing at the time. So I have to stop and reevaluate and think, all right, Paul was a very level-headed, easygoing guy, and I'm usually the opposite. Um, and I just, if it weren't for those people, you know, embracing me and showing me the right path after the field had been so far off in the left field, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Well, listen, we, we got just a few minutes, so I'll give you five minutes or on this next one. Five minutes, that's it. I'll, I'll have to cut you off. Where do you think we are, because it makes me think about this, where do you think we are in the future of Western, Old West, Wild West history? And and hear me out. People like you, James B. Mill, James Mill just wrote and the new Billy the Kid book out is out. I can't even say it right. El Bendito Sempatico. Sempatico. Um, the new Billy, the, I probably butchered that. I'm sorry if I did. But the new James B. Mills, you've got Sam Kilborn, who is Samuel Kilborn, who just wrote El Paso, another phenomenal writer. You've got yourself. Um, you've got, shout out to Donna Harrell, even though she hasn't written anything. She's got, you know, f- phenomenal history on the young earth that, that we're doing in podcasts. And I think she's written some articles. But... We have the future emerging. Where do, you, where do you think we are with that? I think it's easy to get pessimistic about um, the state of where the field is going. Because you go to a, and, and no, no offense to the older crowd, please, but you go to some of these conferences and it's, it's a sea of white hair. Um, that's not exclusive to WWHA. You know, I belong to the Oregon California Trails Association. Um, a lot of those, everything, it's all older crowds. But um, I think the more that people like James and Sam and, and I do, by making history engaging, Okay, we talk about, and I'm, I'm sorry you have to do this, but, I mean, you have to talk about stuff that's exciting, too. You know, people, people. I remember there was something that was done at, at one of the historical societies in Arizona, and it was like a um, an exhibit about quilts or something. And, you know, I'm sorry if you like quilts, but that's not going to get me engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to you have to get people hooked. And it starts in school or it starts with your parents, and, you know, there are folks out there like us, younger people that are doing this. Um, and you, you bring up Sam. I've brought this up to him before. Sam, if you're listening, when are we going to collaborate on something? Right. I don't want, I don't want to have to come up to Montana and twist your arm, but Sam is, Sam is a good guy mm-hmm. and he's a very smart historian. And I think he's the next John Bosnecker. Um, but, um, Anyways, yeah, just support, support your historian. If they're old, if they're young, I don't care. Uh, that's the way we can move the, the field forward. Uh, recognize the right sources, buy our books, read our articles, uh, and hold us up. You know, legitimize our work. That's how we can move it forward. You got two minutes. Tell me something about Eric 
that only Eric and family would know. For example, we talked to Chuck last weekend, and Chuck said, I love mushrooms, deep-fried mushrooms and ranch dressing. What is, uh, what is, it doesn't have to be a food thing. It could be something you do at home. What is something that only you and the family know that you love? Um, I live to tease my kids. Okay. Um, I like anchovies on my pizza. Oof. I like Tabasco in my beer. Um, and just about a year ago, I was on my trip that was tracing the transcontinental railroad and Oregon trail across Nebraska, Wyoming, and Utah. And I'm getting very, very anxious to do that trip again. Um, you know, I sit here in my emergency management office here in Arkansas, look out the window and think, yeah, I'd rather be out on the high plains. Mm -hmm. But so Tabasco and your beer. Tabasco and the beer. And um, I don't even know what the other one was. It was disgusting. Anchovies on your pizza. pizza. We're not having pizza together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the hot sauce on the beer. That actually sounds pretty good. So we are talking to Eric Wright. You can find Eric uh, at ericwrighthistorian.com. And that's Eric, E-R-I-K, Right is W-R-I-G-H-T. So ericwrighthistorian.com. You can also get his books on Amazon. And Amazon's another one to pick up. And he's got a bunch of them. If you subscribe to the Tombstone Epitaph, you'll actually find on the very last page. Um, it's always there on the right-hand corner. I'm looking at it right now. A list of his books with an order coupon. You want to get the books there. Uh, of course, if you're going to be at the at the epitaph, you might as well subscribe. Three years for sixty bucks, or one year for twenty five, and there's an in between price. But again, the three years is fantastic. I want to thank Bob Bose Bell as much as I'm sure Eric does. Bob Bose Bell over at True West Magazine. If you want to become a subscriber or a maniac like I am, you can go and do that at truewestmagazine.com. And of course, our friends over at the WWHA Wild West History Association. We just came back from Roundup 2022, was at Rapid City, South Dakota. We went to Deadwood, Rushmore. It was a phenomenal trip. My wife and I had a, the best time. And 2023 is going to be at the Alamo in Texas. And I'm hoping we can see you there. But if you want to join that, um, you can join the uh, WWHA at wildwesthistory.org. The price is about 75 bucks. Some people will say that's kind of high, but I don't because you get the journal delivered right to your door. It's 100 plus pages. You're getting a book. You're getting a 100 page book delivered to your door on a quarterly basis. And that alone is worth the cost and it's fantastic. And I keep all of them and I really urge you to join the WWHA and the Wild West History Association. Got anything else, bud? Anything else we need to cover? No, sir. I just encourage everyone to, like I said, support their historians. Uh, Subscribe to those things. That helps us. Buy their books. That helps us. Give us shout-outs, reviews, everything they can do. And I appreciate you, Mike. Yeah, man. So you can find – and I appreciate you. Uh, you can find my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio app. Make sure you give me a rating and review. If you can, it helps distribution. And uh, if you're over on YouTube and you like your audio podcast on YouTube – 
uh, and you're here, you're, you're visually impaired, maybe reading a book is a little difficult, you know, let some folks know that are out there that, hey, there's podcasts that are nothing but Western history. And you can find uh, me on YouTube at Cochise County underscore travels, or you can type in the words Wild West under your search bar, and I'll come up with all the Wild West associate or Wild West uh, podcast. And my podcast is really dedicated directly to the historian, the researcher, and the writer that brings those stories. And we talk about those stories and we got a bunch planned. So if you're on YouTube, you can find me there at Cochise County underscore travels. Hit the subscribe button, set the notification bell because I am loading podcasts. I just loaded the Chuck Fisher, uh, Chuck Parsons King Fisher podcast yesterday. So that is out on YouTube and it's ready to listen. As always, we appreciate you guys. Safe travels and we'll see you next time.